Is it rolling, Bob? Talking Dylan. He's your host, Lucas Hare. He's your host, Kerry Shale. But he's our special guest, actor Michael Feast. God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Abe said, man, you must be putting me on. God said, no. Abe said, what? God said, you can do what you want, Abe, but the next time you see me coming, you better run. Abe said, where do you want this killing done? God said, down on Highway 61. Oh, God is a frightening guy. <laughs> sure is. Uh, thank you for choosing that. Why did you uh, choose that particular uh, quote? Well, it, the the personal connection with that song is that um, I, I used it to audition and get into uh, the musical Hair in uh, 68. Oh, wow. When you say, did you sing it or did I you recite it? I sang it. No, I sang wow. it. Yeah, I sang wow. it. And a friend of mine, David Dundas, who's a songwriter and I've done a few things with him, he came along and played the piano for me. A uh, nice rolling piano, and uh, we also I also had a, um, a, a siren, one of those that goes yeah, yeah. in the song, yeah. which I stood up on the stage at the Shaftesbury Theatre and uh, did the whole bit, and uh, it got me into the show. You um, wouldn't dare not give someone the job if <laughs> no. they did that, I think, just out of sheer commitment. Uh, yeah, it's I did fantastic. the whole song. I See, I'd, I'd screwed it up a week before. I'd, tr- I'd sung Outlaw Blues, um, the one that's got the nice verse about I look like, uh, I may look like Jesse James, but I feel mm, just like yeah. Robert Ford. Yeah. Or the other way other around. Up, yeah. Way, yeah, because Dylan does look more like Robert Ford than Jesse James. <laughs> kind of skinny and weedy. Yeah, not like Brad Pitt no, in the no, movie. No. <laughs> at all so i'd gone along with my own guitar and i'd been too clever with the guitar and screwed up the singing and so i knew the casting director's assistant so i got her to put my name on the next list that was meant to be for people who had got through the first audition which i hadn't and somehow i blagged my way in and with highway 61 i hit the mark that is fantastic. So it's Absolutely. a personal kind of connection. Yeah. We also that was the album that I suppose when I was living at a place called Albert Street, which is which is actually where Bruce Robinson based with and I on. If that's oh, yeah. another little, um, Were you at drama school with him? So I was at, with yeah, me and Bruce and Mike Elphick, a few others. Yeah, we were at Central. Yeah. Anyway, continue. Well, that was the album High Sixty One Revisited. That um, I suppose was the centre. I mean, we we lived in Albert Street. This is in Camden Town through the sort of mid to late sixties. So we went with. I don't know, it was already another side of Bob Dylan, but um, certainly with Bring It All Back Home, Highway 61, Blonde on Blonde, Highway 61 was right in the centre, and that yeah. was the one we used to you know, sit upstairs, get stoned and listen to probably more than anything else, although Blonde on Blonde was the one that we kind of stuck with. But So that it's an album that I have a great sort mm. of affection for and a personal gratitude to get me into hair. So when did you first get into Bob Dylan? I was thinking about this. I um I was a mod in Brighton in the sort of early 60s. I was into I was into Chuck Berry. I was into R&B and anything that I could dance to really. Mm. Chuck Berry, Muddy Waters, um Howlin' Wolf, you know, some of the soul stuff, early soul stuff. And I think I was trying I think a, a French girl student who used to go a lot of students used to go to a place called the Starlight Rooms where I'd go they'd have a live band who played blues R&B. And the French students weren't sort of really into the same kind of thing. They were a bit uncool, really, but they were sort of, they were quite nice looking. Some of the girls. Um, <laughs> so that sort of surpassed lack of cool, you of know, course, in, that, yeah, in the time. ratio, yeah. in the balance of things. <laughs> anyway, she was. I think she was the first person that said the words Bob Dylan to me. And I somehow because I I, I must have saved up, and I think I must have wanting to impress her, you know, some sort of thing. And I bought 
freewheeling. Mm-hmm. I'd missed out on the first one was just Bob Dylan, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I bought freewheeling, and I couldn't quite sort of believe what I what I was hearing. I think because it was so it was so different to what I was into, and yet it and yet without any kind of markers, I was able to kind of connect with it, or it connected with me, should I say, straight away. Mm. Never mind what else I was listening. I was still listening to what else. Because you wouldn't listening to any folk, presumably. No, you? not at all. Yeah. So I didn't really know. I, 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 could, I could hear some blues. I, I'd been listening to Muddy Waters and, and all that sort of stuff. But, mm. uh, but the Woody Guthrie thing and the folk thing was totally new. I mean, I, without wanting to sound too sort of glib about it, 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 it that connection was made almost immediately. Yeah. That stayed with me, and, and, and as we all know, it just stays with you as, as mm-hmm. Bob has grown old and, and as I've grown old. Then I got Times Arrow Changing, because by then I just, you know, I had to know what was, what was coming next. And that was the one, I suppose, I, I very cruelly played that track to my parents, BDIing them <clears> at the point where it says, come mothers and fathers throughout the land and get <laughs> out of here. Kind of thing. Your sons yeah. and your daughters are beyond your beyond command. Your command. Yeah. yeah, so that was, that was a moment. That How I, did that, they take it? I think my mum in her great neurosis, bless her, but um, I think she was a little kind of perplexed. I think my dad was okay with it. My mm. dad was, was quite sort of, he was a music fan and, and um, he loved, when I bought What I Say by Ray Charles um, and put it on my dance set, he really thought, oh, that's, he'd never heard that before and he thought that was mm. wonderful. So yeah. yeah, I think he was okay with it. I mean, it's great when you should have music that scares your parents i think your mum's reaction was probably yeah correct yeah. oh yeah and and yeah absolutely and it was kind of what i wanted mm. when i think about it now i think but then you know when you're young but i was 15 yeah yeah whatever. but you end up choosing music that, that actively creates more of the impression that you know to make a point don't you and my son yeah. listens to or used to listen to this uh, i think they call it drill music there's oh, yeah. been a lot of stuff in the media about sort of knife crime and it's a lot of it's very closely affiliated with that and he seems to have come out of that phase now and now he's listening to stuff which i still don't like but it's got a sample of etta james in it so i can handle it you know oh yeah I mean? yeah <laughs> anything to cling on to <laughs> that's like that. fine yeah yeah but i think as parents you've got to say i understand that my son or daughter is listening to this music to a degree to alienate me and tell me that I'm part of the old guard. And, yes. and Dylan must have been so much part of that. Absolutely. And, and, and along with that, the look, you know, and, and, uh, which is also not where I was at. I was into, as I say, mod and I had a scooter and a parker with a, with a fur collar. But I, I kind of could see something beyond my ken of style, which I was to sort of grow into later mm. in, in him. I think that for me started. Was it um, that maybe was that freewheeling with the, the with, with the with Sue's on his arm? Yeah, and yeah. The, yeah. That I mean, that's and the and the suede jacket and everything. Mm, yeah. I still, when I was in New York only recently, um, it was the first time I ever went um, in, a, in a show. Um, I, I found that that corner, that yeah. place, and, and stood on it. <laughs> yeah, and imagine how cold it must have been walking down there in a flimsy jacket. Yeah, flimsy jacket with hands in pockets. Yeah. So your friends, you said you, all your friends at Albert Street were also into Dylan. You we were at Central in Swiss Cottage and um, towards the end of the three-year course and into the sort of, I mean, that finished about 65 um, and uh, because grants had finished, we had nowhere to go and this guy called David Dundas, who was, who was from quite a rich family, um, had a house in Albert Street in Camden Town and so we kind of all moved in and promised to pay rent but never did and he... Sort of did it look like that. it did okay. in the movie, like in With Nell yeah. Nye? Pretty, uh, pretty much. I think, <laughs> yeah. you know, a little bit of uh, extra um, uh, artistic license was taken by Bruce with that in terms of its messiness, but it was pretty, uh, yeah, 
because um, it was it was a weird combination of the money that had been put into the house by David's parents, I think, and the sort of old money and the drapes and mm. whatnot, because mm. um, they're from quite a they're from an aristocratic family. Mm. Still in touch with both of them, actually, Bruce and David, mm. and, um, and a combination of that, and then a lot of sort of. 60s nonsense and mm. psychedelia and you know Bieber bags hanging over lights and, and all that sort of caper and I mean and I suppose what we were listening to mainly were those three albums finishing up with Blonde oh and we did we were still there with John Wesley Harding um, and Sergeant Pepper and and you know the, or everything around that period but it was always Dylan that, that well that's interesting because with the with the mid 60s stuff particularly um, culminating in Blonde on Blonde there's a kind of excess in the music which in my image and I am visualising with and like I'm sure most people are when they talk about this it, it all is very compatible but John Wesley Harding's such a shift I know I know, and we had to really. I remember having to really. There was a there was an American guy uh, who was in, in in the same year called Chris Cabot, who was the son of an American actor called Sebastian. Oh Cabot. God, yeah, Remember Sebastian. Cabot? Yes, big guy with big a beard. Guy, be- yeah, yeah, well, his son was not so big, but and no beard. But oh, he did. I have think a beard he did a version of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds or something. Sebastian Cabot. Oh. You know, back when they did spoken oh, like oh. William Shatner type oh. stuff. He did some. <laughs> Yeah, you know, sort of uh, song. But anyway, go on. Yeah, um, well, he, yeah, he, he was, he lived there, and another guy, American guy called Lawrence Trimble, who, um, God knows what's happened to him, but uh, he was the original kind of. He'd been in Paris. He was older than us, and he was the one that brought all the dope over from uh, North Africa, I think. When all that um, happened, and, and um, anyway, we we all used to go up but in, to this room. When I think John Wesley Harding was there was quite a gap, was there not between uh, before John Wesley mm-hmm. Blonde on Blonde yeah. and Blonde John Wesley Harding was yeah. released in this country? I think in the summer of '66. I mean, it's difficult to pin down because a lot of people think it was released on the same day as Pet Sounds, which has been disproven now. Uh-huh. Um, so it wasn't May; it was more like July, August. And John Wesley Harding came out the very end of '67, beginning of '68. So there's a good eighteen months there. Yes. Well, what you say is 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 correct. When it came out, and we were, I mean. I was expecting more of the same, mm. and if mm. not further out than uh, than um, say you know visions of Johanna or, or um, sad eyed lady of the lowlands, and then that, <laughs> and, and I had to really work and put different things in place. And initially, mm. I was looking for some kind of connection, some kind of well, I suppose principally sort of the the, the drugginess that that. That, that is that is somehow hanging in the ether all around mm. Mm. blonde on blonde you know even though i was thinking about this and isn't there one of the live later live performances dylan says writing a drug song would be just vulgar yes 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 do drugs exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's that's not how it sounded to, to me when i was listening to it <laughs> yeah um but so so i i initially tried to find connections to my for myself from blonde on blonde to john wesley harding and mm. always oh, singing that that must mean that blah, blah, blah. and you couldn't do it no you no. couldn't do it yeah. did that change i mean obviously it changed your your ears as a dylan fan did it change yes. the way you you lived your life given the fact that they were so compatible earlier interesting thought um it certainly it certainly was what the first time i suppose that because everything up to that point with dylan had been you know you could have you, you followed it through and, and it flowed and then and that. but this yes yeah you know, i had to think now that eventually i didn't even so many words but now here's here's some here he's now this is a man who i didn't i, I thought i knew but now i don't mm. so i'm gonna have to re-evaluate all i that. mean going back to highway 61 or indeed to bring it all back home uh-huh 
how did that affect you in that? Because that was, say, bringing it all back home was a huge shift. Yes. That was the first big shift. It, 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 that was that. I mean, there was a lot of acoustic stuff on there, but there was also that's right. That yeah, was when the electric stuff. Yeah, got, exactly. Yeah, that was a yeah. shift. I um I, I think I I I just went into that naturally because what was before another side of yeah, yeah. right and that was a real favourite of mine another side of I really like that the, the and the lyrics and the and the change from the change from the finger pointing to to you know what, tambourine man was that was that or not it was another side is, is chimes of freedom and to Ramona and uh, yes. my back page yeah to Ramona wonderful yeah uh, oh, yeah I think so um yeah so th- and that suited me I, I was quite happy to say goodbye mm. to the finger pointing mm. and stuff but but yeah so by the time bring it all back home i think it it's sort of mm, because i've been listening to a lot of other stuff you know rock and roll electric stuff elvis of course mm. yeah. um one of the things i was thinking about today is is that dylan is someone who's always i've always whatever else i was into wide and i think i've got quite wide tastes he he always had a place within and yet beyond that so it always fitted in but on the other hand it never did because he's a one-off and i think that's what makes him a genius in a way or one of the things um and he's the only person i use that word about i think in popular culture um so with bringing it, with bringing it all back home, it it was a, I, for me it was a natural thing, mm. personally, whatever for him to to uh, to to, in, to really enjoy what he was doing in in a, in that slightly different setting because it somehow connected a bit more with the other things that I was listening mm. to, mm. and so on to Highway sixty one. Yes, when he really yes. So that was that it. was that was just, and I suppose that's why I say that was the sort of cent- center point of that kind of, well, I think of that period as kind of the classic Dylan period. Mm. Well, we were talking about Desolation Row on the bus, mm. and I was saying how I've heard it so many times, but I never really visualise. I, I just, in, the, the images, I just enjoy the sound of the words, whereas Kerry yeah. can see I was saying, well, it's, it's just C.S. Eliot. The way, I, yeah. the way my brain works is I do see, I've got this image of the two of them fighting in the captain's tower. I don't know if, if yeah. that's the way you listen <laughs> yeah. to music. Do you do you see images? I don't know. Um I see I see um like a kind of uh, a long dusty ramshackle with with shacks pro- probably somewhere in Mexico um running along down into down into the sort of far distance mm. with people do you scurrying see Einstein in and, and out people y- yes going in and y- out yes and Cinderella with with, mm. with, with the with the uh, the long brush broom like she has in, yeah. the, in mm. the nursery rhymes yes no so yes i do see that mm. and and last night i was before going to bed i sometimes listen to something and because of of this today i i have my earphones on i was listening to desolation row and maggie my wife who she, she likes Dylan, but she's not like us. No. <laughs> um, um, maybe, is it a man thing? I don't know. I, some people say it is. To a degree. Uh, we we yeah. have gratifyingly found some women who want to talk about him too. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All of our wives are fairly long-suffering about yeah. it. Anyway, she came into the room and, 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 she, well, yeah, and I said, I'm listening to Desolation Road tomorrow. And so instead of saying, oh, okay, I'm off to bed, she just stayed. And I said, do you want to... And so I put it back on and put it... Mm. And she, I, I thought she would listen to the first verse. She listened to the whole thing, the whole song, um, through earphones. And I was sort of up against her ears to try and hear what the, the, the next line was. And it's not... A, she, I, I think she's heard the song before, but she went, oh, he's quite something. And she said... Uh, she mentions T.S. Eliot, and then she said that the, the song is a bit like, like The Wasteland. Mm. And, and that was her first connection mm. to it. I said, yeah, sure. 
Yeah, absolutely. She's a good woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was listening to it the other day uh, on the bus, you know, in my with my earphones. It was the Charlie McCoy guitar that sort of struck me that particular time because there's something each yeah. time. He's so brilliant. Wonderful. I, mean, I think he did it. He said that he did it in what two takes or something that well, they just said play guitar on this. Yeah. <laughs> And there's a, but there's a very, um, I mean, on the cutting edge, you can hear all of them. But on one of the, the bootleg series, I think it's No Direction Home, that, the soundtrack to that one, there's a, there's a version with an electric guitar on it, which I guess must be Mike Bloomfield. Huh. It, it, you correct me if I'm wrong, somebody. But it kind of sounds a bit like the Velvet Underground. It sounds totally wrong to have an electric guitar doing fills on that song. Hmm. And yet it does sound sort of ahead of its time. Wonderful. But it, it, it is so visual. And hasn't somebody talked about even making a film? Or you know, They always say that about Bob Dylan songs know. or albums. They're going to make a film out of them, which yeah. you can't and there's no point. Like I was listening to that, the, the thing about Einstein disguised as Robin Hood. And then he evolves into the, the costume of a monk. And you, yeah. you don't actually know who he's talking about anymore. It's that they all blend into yeah. each other. yeah. But how do you you heard that when it first came out? Yes. So how did it strike you? You know that the album and the song, <sighs> "Sad Eyed Lady of the Lowlands." Now I've, got, I've jumped into Blonde on Blonde. Mm-hmm. I had to work at mm. Visions of Johanna was my one from there. Yeah. But when I once I'd worked at Sad Eyed Lady of the Lowlands, then wonderful. And I had the same thing with Desolation Row. I, mm-hmm. I, I had to work at that. Um, I guess by then I was ready. Uh, at that point, I, I would I would take whatever was whatever he was giving. But I suppose I mean it's it's a long song, isn't it? I mean for the time, yeah, very much, um, really long, shockingly long. Yeah, yeah, I mean in popular music there was nothing going aside from psychedelic twiddlings, yeah, which actually hadn't happened yet because this was the year that Rubber Soul came out. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So it, it was yeah. before psychedelia. Yeah, mm. yeah. I I mean on that album it was I suppose by then after Bring It All Back Home it was the more electricy kind of stuff. Uh, I I'm I'm not going to think of it but there's another particularly sort of rocky song. Tombstone Blues. Yes, Tombstone mm. Blues. Yeah. Got this graveyard woman she keeps <clears> my kids is that the one? Yeah. Uh, that or is that that's from Buick 6. Oh from Buick yeah. 6. So so Desolation Row it, kind of going more into into uh, an acoustic sort of thing um, with that with that is it Char- Charlie McCoy you say, yeah that, that, with that wonderful guitar um, by then I'd sort of I had to make the switch back to, mm. to, to oh so now we're going but yes no I mean the, the the words and the and the images I think what uh, what we just said I think that was that hit me straight away that Ooh. I saw I, I saw saw that image of that dusty street in Mexico. Mm. And what about what about in the seventies? Were you still with him? Was he soundtracking your life? Was it a different Bob, a different you? I, I was one of the few that I, I really liked um, self portraits. Right. I really like because I'm a sucker for the, the, those kind of you know backing voices and mm. that those mm. kind of songs and the Everly mm. Brothers and all that. Mm-hmm. And to have I love I mean I'm still today I love cover versions of things and I just liked hearing Bob singing. Um, was it Let It Be Me? Yeah. 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 yeah, Blue Moon. Yeah, Blue Moon. Yeah. I, I I just liked it. Um, and most of my pals who we were talking about, who were still around, although it was starting to fragment, really hated it. The, the two Americans couldn't stand it. I think they agreed mm. with, is it Griel Marcus, who said, yeah. what is this shit? Yeah. But no, I, I liked it. It appealed to my sort of more sort of perhaps, I don't know, maybe my more English kind of taste for the, the naff and the and the cheesy the cheesy delivery and song. I, I have a theory that all good music needs to pass the Everly Brothers at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so I, think, I think that's a very good theory. You know, so uh, there, there are touchstones in everybody's career who I like that, that at some point touch the Everly Brothers. So let it be me, I can justify on those two. Yes. 
So well, that that was kind of a self-portrait. Was uh, well, we 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 had we've had Nashville Skyline by then, yes. yeah. right? Yeah, mm. which I loved because I I'm, I'm, I started to get more and more that I like country music. Mm. Partly partly through that, I suppose. Mm. Later on, through Grand Parsons and the Birds and, and all that, but yeah. um, but so Nashville Skyline, I liked um, John Wesley Hardy Nashville, and then was self portrait. Then self portrait, yeah. yeah. Then, then very quiet, sort of seventy one, seventy two is very quiet. Yes, and then w- was it? Oh, well, the New Morning. Sorry, I forgot about New Morning. New Morning, I liked too. Yeah. I loved all those songs. Um, so I was I was staying with it all the mm. way and 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 liking it. And by then, that sort of awful phrase about kind of a it wasn't just Bob, but a soundtrack to to my life. And 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 so by then, in that kind of I don't know, maybe it is a man thing again. You're sort of measuring one's own development to where he's at. So yeah. Bob's still doing that so i'm doing this of course being an actor in england is very different to being a famous rock and roll Mm. genius in new york city um no i was staying along with it and um so where were we? Um, well, sort of well, early 70s. In the 70s. Early, early 70s I, I want to just go back just for a sec, just to, yeah. like, because everything else that was happening at the time, uh, the Beatles and the Stones and uh-huh. the Beach Boys and the Jimi Hendrix, did, yeah. did they impact you as much or were you into them at all? Or I was into them totally, yes. Mm. Always Elvis. Elvis was a constant. Mm. Um, even right <laughs> <laughs> we agree on this. Yes, uh, yeah. I mean, even in the sort of later, unfortunate, you know, bloated days, and, and I've got some of his, you know, those sort of later ones, and uh, I, I can still like them. Um, but yeah, no, always the Beatles. The Beatles, you know, following them through and, and their progression mm-hmm. in a similar sort of way to Dylan. But but, but I suppose because there was four, there were four of them. Um, and by then, my tastes were going, I don't know, more into the kind of, I suppose you might call it rootsy Americana. Mm. I mean, the band was a big, that first one, music from Big Pink yeah. and all that. Um, and that somehow linked up with Dylan. The Stones, I've, yeah, I've, I've always loved. And, and, and it all went alongside with my always sort of searching for, you know, the tracing things back. So, you know, the Stones took me to Muddy Waters and Muddy Waters to Robert Johnson and Robert Johnson to, I don't know, slave hollers, mm. field hollers. And, you mm. know, a bit, of a bit of a kind of musicologist geek in that way. Mm. So I suppose by the 70s, Mm, even though I, you know, I suppose I was my, my life was starting to move more towards wanting, you know, my so-called career. Um, uh, the, 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 so, that, and that was slightly you, you couldn't hair being in hair mm. was the for the first and only time I was able to coalesce um, rock and roll uh, mm. lifestyle and sensibility into um, the the British stage. Yeah, <laughs> and what was that? I mean, I'm fascinated by hair. I, I saw it when I was just the right age, and it, it actually got me into. I smoked my first joint after I. Uh, I just heard the album. I just thought, mm-hmm. "Oh my God, I must get into this, whatever this is." <laughs> yes, and went. To, I went to New York and and saw the original production. Oh wow! Right, and, yeah. In fact, the night that I saw it, it was the second cast, but uh, Jerome Ragney yeah. had it in his contract that, at least, that's what I was told. That any time he showed up. To any of the productions, I mean, you were in this. I don't know if you ever. He must have been there when he you was were there rehearsing. all through the rehearsals. But, yeah, him and the other guy. Yeah, um, Jimmy Rado, Rado, yeah. yeah, and but, Galt McDermott. The, uh, the Galt McDermott. Yeah, but but the night that I saw it in on Broadway, he came in and took over in the second act. Uh-huh. He just played that part that he originated because <laughs> yeah. he could do that whenever he felt like it. He just smoked a couple of joints. And said, yeah, yeah right. I think I'm going to go and do that. Do hair tonight, and so it was. Anyway, I, I was totally thrilled by it, but. 
So was everybody else in the cast, I'm just interested in this as a hair geek, mm. sort of a crazed, dope-smoking, hippie music person? Like, No, it was a weird mixture, weird mixture. I mean, a guy called Paul Nicholas, who played Claude, who played mm-hmm. the part that J- J- Jimmy Rado yeah. played, he was kind of sort of showbiz music, th- musical theatre. And then there were people like, uh, well, Tim Curry came in a bit later on, and Elaine Page. Uh, it, it was a it was a strange mixture. That f- they weren't the first cast. I, you know, I was the first so part. Oliver of the first Tobias. Cast. Oliver he, Tobias played right. Jimmy Rugby. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, he was. I'm not quite sure what his background was. I think he, his folks were from Switzerland. Um, but it was a mixture of. I mean, I think I was the only what you might call classically trained <laughs> actor in it. I also, I think there were maybe few of us, but was the only person sort of living because I was living in this place called Albert Street, as we mm. just talked about, that kind of, you know... Actual lifestyle. ...smoking lifestyle, in a way, you know. Yeah, hippie, so there's a chance to be lifestyle. an actor and live like a rock star. Yes, exactly, yeah. yeah. So, but it was... And there was a couple of plain dancers in it. There was a, a three-person black group, two, two women and a, and a guy who played different parts, but they mm. were actually, in real life, a, a singing group. Right. There was a record producer. There was Oh, there was a guy called Jimmy Winston who'd been in the original Small Faces and somehow left before they got famous. Mm. Um, were people with the audience... Uh, I mean, it's weird because people, dope-smoking hippies, presumably couldn't afford to go to the West End and see this West End thing. So presumably you were playing to suburban theatre-goers. We were, we were. And um, wonderfully and, and very excitingly for us, people, you know, like uh, Jagger would c- came one night, Lennon came another night. I think J- Lennon was with Yoko at the time. That would be about right. That wrong. Yeah. It would be about right, wouldn't it? 68, 69. Yeah, because it yeah. was around the time that <clears throat> that it was reaching the mainstream. It wasn't. It, it was a mainstream show, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it was yeah. in the West End. And, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was. Yeah, it was. It was. It was like it was a party every night, but mm. that's what made it so tiring in the end. <laughs> well, like, well, like with Dylan, you know, there's, there comes a point where you have to stop that if you're going to survive. Yes, exactly. And, and you know, and, and look at the long game, don't you? You do. Um, you do exactly. And that's kind of was my little, you know, little moment. And uh, and I think I was probably one of the first of the original cast to leave. I think I'd had it by. I don't know, nine, ten months. I think mm. that was I, it was burnout, a bit burnout for me. But it was great. It was it was great fun while it lasted. Mm. I, uh, I I played a character called Woof. You played Woof. I played Woof. Yeah, and my my song was called, was called yes. Sodomy. Yes, I I le- all those, I went home and looked up all those words because I didn't know I didn't know any of them. I didn't realize that those were all sexual practices. I no. just it was no. a complete mystery to me. Mm. We've had, I mean, we've talked to a lot of people, some of whom I think felt that, that Dylan lost them at some point. Yeah. Did Dylan ever lose you or did you lose him? Uh, yes. We were thinking about what, the times I've seen him live and it's not that often. And, and I regret deeply that I never saw him at the Albert Hall or any of mm. those periods. And I was around, I was there, but I mean, in London. I saw him um, on the tour that he did with Tom Petty. 86. The Heartbreakers, yeah. is 86, yeah. yeah. And I went with Cranham. Yeah, Cranham got the tickets, and Maggie and I, my, my wife and I, went with him, and another guy who we knew from the National. I didn't know him. Ken knew him. Um, that evening, he did a like a six-song acoustic set in the middle, mm-hmm. and that was worth the ticket price, as right. far as I was concerned. When he started to, if if I can't hear what he's, if I can't hear, this sounds like a really old geezer now. But if I can't hear the words, I wonder what I'm doing listening to, yeah. to Dylan. Um, and uh, and that night. 
and I'm not a big fan, again, I'm, I suppose this is a bit uh, controversial, but I'm not a big fan of Tom Petty, that sort of jang, jangly kind of sound. Um, it was just too loud. I couldn't, mm. I couldn't hear the words. Uh, God bless him. I mean, I think he's got every right to reinvent those songs. They're his songs, and, and, and sometimes I really like it. And that much maligned Boudicain, I love I Want You on that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a wonderful yeah. version. It's nothing that's much slower than the original one. But um, but I think that that sort of that area that that night, apart from the middle bit, I was disappointed. Yeah, and I thought actually. And did I you can't stop hear. buying him for a bit, or did you just stop going to see him? I didn't buy. I I I, I don't think I did, and I still haven't got uh, street legal. I got. Yeah. And the the, the Christian ones, <clears throat> I didn't have a problem with. That's interesting. Okay, I, I didn't have a problem with, um, and it's very particular personal r- reasons because that's the point that I was. I, I saw, that was the other concert I saw. I saw Earl's Court. Um, I forget when it would be. Seventy-eight. Yes, yes, about then, and it was it was wonderful. I loved that the, the, the backing singers. The, it was a wonderful band. Um, mm. Um, and I went with a friend of mine who I, I'd I, I'd not long come out of my own sort of um, I've, I've been in, in a in a in a place for nine months in what was called a therapeutic community um, because I'd gone beyond it in with drink and drugs and um, that's when I started to to find a, a kind of sobriety and a cleanness around that time and although I didn't become a Christian and I'm still not a Christian some something in that. Something in that music spoke to me in terms of redemption and in terms of sin and and recovery from sin and there being no middle ground and you know because when you get to wake up exactly it's all that isn't it it's yeah. all that you know so look I, at the life around you and and, and reassess things yes um, and so that was and that was I saw him that night um, with a friend of mine who was like a sort of mentor who'd been sober and clean for a long time. And uh, so that was a very kind of personal, I don't know, wholesome, I suppose is the word I'd use, um, connection to him at that point. And it meant a lot and still does, really. Um, Post that, I started to, I mean, I haven't, I never bought Oh Mercy um, under a red sky. sky, That other one where there's a lot of covers on, sort of rock and roll covers. Uh, down in the groove. Yes, down in the groove. Um, the, the, I, I wasn't a big fan of the Daniel Lanois produced things, mm-hmm. so I kind of lost it a bit around there. But yeah. then, did you, did you pick it up again? Yeah, I picked it up. Would it be Love and Theft? Yeah, Love and Theft. My mum had just died. I was staying down in Brighton, looking after her, you know, looking after her, or she was dying, and then she died. And it came out down there then, and um, it was a, it was just a wonderful album to to be hearing, uh, you know, at a time that things were you know having to be sorted out. And are you still on the Bob bandwagon? Do you still have you, did you continue on from I, Love and Theft? I, I did Love and Theft and and Time Out of Mind mm-hmm. uh, all all around that. Uh, oh, of course, I'm forgetting Blood on the Tracks, which was another big standout. Yeah. So yeah. that was you know, let, let us not forget that. Um, I think probably where I've gone now is that I, I wouldn't miss a, an album, although I didn't buy the Christmas one. I just don't like Christmas songs. I'm just, with you, just, buddy. Yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> I bought it, but I never, yeah. ever listened to it. No, I, I, twice, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, it'd be a novelty hearing Bob sing Christmas songs, but I'd rather hear 
Sinatra and Bing Crosby and, you know, the Andrew <clears> Sisters or something yeah. sing Christmas songs. Uh, but I wouldn't even want that either, really. Oh, and I loved the two f- folk blues ones that he recorded mm, yep, in the garage yep. or wherever it was. Yep. Uh, you know, the, um, Put us up into your world of Exactly. Yeah. Those two. I love those two. And that's that's very much my taste of sort of Americana yeah. and roots. And do you listen to the bootlegs as well? Because that's another whole... Yes, yes. I've always kept up with the bootlegs, although I tend not to buy the sort of big packages i usually get the sort of single i was working with you when another self-portrait came out and i remember yes. we were talking a lot about this and you were saying i think i'm just going to go for the two cd version. which i which i have done i was <laughs> yes, looking at that the other day yeah <laughs> yeah um but yeah. yeah no i've always kept up with the bootlegs and i love those and the biograph i suppose that was just pre the bootlegs wasn't it I've, all of those yeah um my problem at the my problem now is that i, fi- I find i find his voice difficult I've, yeah, that's it's not flexible that's enough. A theme, I'm afraid. Is it really? Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, it's an obvious one, I suppose. But I guess some people they say okay? it's the phrasing. We're we're doing a, our next podcast. We're talking to uh, a, a guy who um, we're going to be spe- specifically talking about that. Uh-huh. Who says mm. it's the phrasing? It doesn't Sinatra matter. That, era, yeah. yeah, it doesn't matter that he doesn't really have okay. the voice anymore. Yeah, yeah. And in, and and going back to what we're saying about Desolation Row. I mean, I tell you what I don't, I, what I, what I don't relate to, which is a, a relief and, and, and I can see obviously exactly why, is, is my, is any sort of druggy thing with it. Mm. Because, because my life is so, so not that. But say with Desolation Row, I, I can see, I mean, how the world is now, which seems to me quite extraordinarily <laughs> awful. In many ways, yeah. that that that's, that that speaks to that. I, mm. I suppose one could say, you know, prophetically, but I I wouldn't really want. To, that sounds like a bit like magical thinking to me. But but certainly that there's there's something about that now, and I suppose some of the other songs on that, which which on on that album, um, which do speak to to how the world is now. Yeah, I don't think it needs to be prophetic. I think that the best art, when you revisit it, reflects you and the world, and that's why. You know, the world can change and it seems like the art has grown, but actually the art has remained the same. Yes. But you've learned to see the world reflected in it and suddenly it seems very, very prescient and things. But actually, it's just a way of looking at it, isn't it? Yes. It's it's good when you can go back to the things that really meant something to Mm. you and you don't feel embarrassed by them. No. Yeah. I I think, you know, Dylan, Highway 61 is is timeless. I remember a few years ago I saw... uh, Easy Rider again, which I had seen many times over the years. That was another. That was a movie that made a huge impact on me. Yeah. Again, they were doing drug deals, smoking dope, driving motorcycles, and it had Jimi Hendrix. It had a great soundtrack. Yeah, but uh, over the years, as I've been watching it, I thought it's become less and less good, and it now to me looks kind of naff. And well, except whole- for Jack Nicholson is. Yeah. Brilliant. He'll never not be brilliant in that. But Peter yeah. Fonda's performance gets worse and worse and worse <laughs> to the point where the last time I saw it, I thought, he can't act at all. It's not very <laughs> good at all. Well, I finally caught up with it when it was in my, in my, I don't know, late teens, early 20s, and I watched it. And when they got to the extended Mardi Gras sequence, I just thought, no, sorry. <laughs> this, is, this is not aged well. No. You know. No, well, I saw it when I was 16, and I thought, oh, I must do that LSD. Yes. I must go and get some. I mean, it was, a, it was not a good sequence, but it, it did seem 
I thought well, they look like they're having a good time. Um, but see, I mean, this is the difference that. for me between Dylan and a lot of other things that were culturally going on at the time is that Easy Rider tries to capture an era. And as far as I'm concerned, culturally, if you do that, you're doomed. Yeah. Because you're mm. only ever going to look like you're focusing on a certain point of time. Whereas Dylan, because he never, ever paid attention to trends, much more to the point, created them by existing outside of them yeah he's always looking forward he's always the non-conformist he's always edgier than something else from around the same time and therefore it doesn't date yeah i'm, I'm convinced that's why mm. i'll go back to john wesley harding and not so much sergeant pepper no offense you know because it's because yeah. it's it's timeless oh yeah no me too I, I I I hardly ever listen to to, to Beatles, but and, and yet the Beatles are are in my soul. You know, I can I, I can name the, the you know the, almost the sequence, the track sequence, the track mm. listing on, mm-hmm. on those some of those albums. But mm. but I don't listen to it. No, but Bob, you can yeah. you can pick it up, can't you? The yeah. Highway sixty one and yeah. As you say, you you know, if your wife didn't particularly know Desolation, but oh. listen to it, and it's not like a nineteen sixty five song. At all? No. I take real, real um, uh, pleasure in the lyrics when you're lost in the rain, Juarez, and it's Easter time too. When your gravity fails and negativity don't get you through, because there's <laughs> such a, a kind of vogue at the moment for being quote unquote positive, which I find so tedious. Because yeah. you know, I don't think negativity is anything to be scared of. Actually, I think it's something that can get you through. And I love the notion that sometimes negativity don't get you through. Then where do you turn? Yeah. That for me is far more interesting. Yeah. Probably not to positivity because if you if negativity isn't going to do it for you, then yeah. th- then th- that's that's pointless to go back to posi- positivity. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I much prefer that perversity, that complexity. Uh, and, and in a way, you're you're right. I mean, that's why I think you know what, what Desolation Row. What I was saying about that it, that it addresses something how I feel about the world now because I find it very hard to be anything other than negative about how things are. Yeah, um, that's honest. Y- yeah, and, and and that's okay. Yeah. It's it, it sort of, it's it still hopefully that that will get me, <laughs> that will get me through. You know that that negativity yeah. because it's you know I don't see any point in in trying to put a, a better spin on things. Well, that's very okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Thank you, Michael Feast. Well, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Is it rolling, Bob? Talking Dylan is recorded in the Galileo Suite at Lip Sync Studios, engineered by Mark Langley Smith, and produced. By Robin Guys. We're on Twitter at Is It Rolling Pod. Music is by Sam Hare. Well, you walk into the room like a camel, and then you frown. You put your eyes in your pocket and your nose on the ground. There ought to be a law against you coming around. You should be made to wear earphones. <laughs> <laughs>